Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. This is an exciting morning. Derek's gone. Yep. That's what I thought. No, it's, it's an exciting morning because I get to preach this morning. I'm more... I'm more than just the guy who comes up here every Sunday and is like, hey, if you're new, well, the Connect part, I'm more than that, right? I am the youth pastor here at the bridge, Great Paul. See, I forget this every single week. Kids, you can head on back. There we go. Look at the stampede. That's awesome. Like I said, I'm the youth pastor. Youth pastors are typically kind of forgetful, uh, not the most organized people in the world. I'd like to say I am kind of organized, a little bit forgetful. So, But I get to preach this morning. And as I was preparing for this message, I, I've just kind of been thinking and kind of just reflecting on my four and a half months. It seems like I've been here for two years. Like so much has happened. And I, I'm so thankful that I'm here. But. Four and a half months ago was not the first time I had an experience with St. Francis. So this morning, you guys want to hear the first experience I had with St. Francis? Yeah? I say this in youth all the time. It doesn't matter what you think. I have the mic, so I get to say whatever I want, right? So, my first encounter with St. Francis, I was in fourth grade. Fourth grade was a year I was looking forward to about my whole life. Because growing up, my dad was a high school basketball coach, still is a high school basketball coach. So growing up, I looked up to the high school basketball players. They were my heroes. I'd go to every single home game, and I could not wait until one day I could be a flyer. I was our mascot in Little Falls, Little Falls Flyers. But I could not wait until fourth grade because that is when traveling basketball started in Little Falls. Fourth grade comes around, and... I show up to our first practice, and my best friend's on the team. I'm like, this is sick. We're going we're gonna to dominate, right? Like every fourth grader. Like we thought we were the best players in the world. We go to our first tournament. Didn't go great. I'll be honest. We, like, went one and two, I think. Not a great tournament, but I was like, hey, that was, that was the nerves. That was jitters. You know, second tournament will be a lot better. We go to our second tournament, and... I'll be honest, my team was not very good, right? We were fourth grade, and in traveling basketball, there are kind of like three different levels that you can play in. There's the A tier, really good teams. There's B, and then there's my team in the C tier, right? We, we weren't great. But our second tournament, we show up to it, and we quickly find out it's not a fourth grade tournament. It's a fifth grade tournament, right? So we, we're walking around. Just seeing monsters walking by us, we're like, yeah, we have to play that guy. Yeah, we have to play that guy. Full beards, everything. And we, but in my mind, I was like, this is perfect. Right? Every sports movie I've ever seen, there was a massive underdog. Right? Like, no movies do the underdog just get killed. I was like, this is, this is my movie. This is my moment. I, I'm going to be able to tell stories of this forever. We walk onto the court for our first game. Sure enough, we're playing St. Francis. Where we walk on, they're dunking it on the other end. My team's like picking their nose. We're, I'm like, hey, that's fine. 
it's the Cinderella story we need. Right, so I was, I was fired up for this game. And fast forward to about a minute left in the game. My coach calls a timeout. And I'll never forget, I'm running over to our bench. And I look back. And the gym is just, like, lined with people. I've never seen so many people at a fourth-grade basketball game. My brother's team's over in the corner. His sixth-grade team was playing in the sixth-grade tournament. They're cheering us on. My parents are there. Like, the gym is just packed for this fourth-grade game. I'm like, okay, it's my moment. It's my moment. And we, we get into our team huddle. And my coach is like, guys, we need a bucket. I was like, okay, I got you. I got you. And then my coach goes, you know, we need we need bucket so bad i'll give someone a dollar if they score i was like bet let's go like as a fourth grader dollars a lot right that could buy me some candy between games i was like okay it's my time i run back out on the court and a few seconds later i get the ball i'm like oh it's go time it's go time and i i remember dribbling and putting up this like crazy shot and it bounces off the backboard hits the one side of the rim bounces to the other side and it felt like a movie, slow motion. It's like rolling around the basket, rolling around, and finally it drops in. And I'm not kidding. The gym erupted. I look over my brother's team. They're like pumping their fists. They're jumping up and down, fired up. My parents usually don't get very excited. They were even on their feet clapping, so you know it was a big deal. Right? This gym is going crazy. My teammates are celebrating, going nuts, running back to get on defense. And I look at the scoreboard, and the score is 61 to two. And my team had two, right? It was not the Cinderella story that I was hoping, but my coach told us we needed the basket so bad because we didn't want to get shut out. And ever since that moment, I've hated St. Francis. Uh, and sure enough, God called me to come here, and I'm still fighting it every day. And now I'm coaching basketball at the high school for St. Francis, and my team gets beat by 30 every game. So I don't know what's going on. I, maybe I just need to get out of the basketball scene. But it was a day, a game I'll never forget. And one, one thing became clear to me that, that morning in that game. And that's... If I wanted, like, my basketball career to get to where I wanted it to be someday, if I wanted to, to be like one of those high school players that I looked up to my whole life, I was going to have to take ownership of my game. I was going to have to, to put more effort in. I was going to have to try harder to, to get up more shots because I wanted the thing I loved, basketball, to be great. I think that's, that's the same thing with, with anything that we love in life. If there's anything we love in life, if there's anything you call yours, if you want it to grow, you have to take ownership. You have to have some skin in the game. And this morning, we're jumping into a new series called Our House. And the the idea behind this series is, is just ramping up for two services. And... The truth is, if, if we want our house, the bridge, if we want the bridge to grow, every single person needs to take one step forward in, in taking more ownership of this place. Because I, I know 
that God's got huge things in store for this community. God's got huge things in store for this church. And it takes each and every one of us right, to take more ownership of this church, but even more so take more ownership of our, our personal faith with Jesus. So as, as we jump into this new series called Our House, there, there's a little passage that, that this series is kind of based on, and that's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a, a group of people in the early church that we see took ownership of their faith. Right, it says that, that they devoted themselves to the teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to being together in community with other people, trying to, to get to the same thing. Right? And they, they made a place, their home, where they could, they could grow in their faith. Right? It says they every single day went to the temple courts and were praising together because they wanted that place to be their home. They wanted that place to be as good as it could possibly be every single time they they stepped foot there. And they did this all so that they could see what, what verse 47 says, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right, And, and our, our goal with going to two services is not to have the bridge be 500 people someday. Right? It's not to be this mega church someday. Our goal is not even to grow the bridge. It's to see our community come alive in Christ. And that's, right, we, we don't want just the bridge to grow. Right? We want the kingdom of God to grow. And, and we just see the need in our community to, to be there, right? To love our community, to, to create more opportunities for people in our community to, to find a seat in this place. Right, and this series is all about making our house a place where we'll continue to grow closer to God and continuing to make, to make it so that others can do the same thing too. And this morning, we're going to talk about a, a spiritual leadership principle. And the principle we're talking about this morning is, is not necessarily a principle that if you would go like out in the world and and ask people, like, what, what are the characteristics of a leader? It's, it's not one that you might hear all that often, right? If, if you were to go out in the world and just ask random people, like, what makes a leader a leader, right? They might say they have charisma. They, have, they, they, can, they can lead people. They, they can speak really well. They're creative, right? This morning, we're not talking about any of those things. We're talking this morning about servanthood. We're talking about servanthood. Because the most often used term for spiritual leadership in Scripture is actually servant. And that's crazy. Probably wouldn't see a leader as a servant. Right? Because if we think of a servant, we think of someone who's, who's like the lowest of the low, 
who, who gets no glory, who gets no fame, who's not leading other people. But if we look at Jesus' life, Jesus was the greatest servant of all time. And there's a story in, in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, that we're going to read here. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that could be a whole sermon series right there, loving your people. Verse 2 says, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We see Jesus do this this act of service that only the lowest of servants ever did. And I think a lot of us know that the the goal of of Christianity, the goal of living a life for Jesus is to to be as close to Jesus as possible. So this morning we're going to do something a little different and we're going to bring out bowls from the kitchen and we're going to wash each other's feet. No, just kidding. We are not going to do that. Uh, If we did that, it might be an awkward Monday morning meeting with Derek. Uh, But if if the goal of living a life for Jesus is to live Christ-like, why should we do anything less than serve? Like Jesus did. Right? If if Jesus came to this earth to serve people, why should we do anything but serve people? And I love this story in, in John 13, because in his final week, Jesus demonstrates his love for his disciples by by doing something that only the lowest of servants were asked to do. Right? Just like put yourself in that story, in that situation for for just a few quick seconds here. Right? They live in Israel, in the Middle East, it's dry. It's 2,000 years ago. They're walking around with just sandals on. Some are barefoot. It's hot. They're sweaty. Their feet are probably disgusting. But Jesus doesn't care. Jesus shows his love for them by washing their feet. And I, I love this story because I think we, we can see two Two real simple ways. We can learn two real simple ways on, on how we can serve people like Jesus did. And the first way is this. You simply need to love people enough to serve. Right? If, if you don't love people, how could you ever put yourself in a situation where you're going to serve people? Right? If, you, if you don't like your coworker, if you don't like maybe someone in your family, like how can you ever truly serve them? And Galatians 3.28 says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. And it goes on to say, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right When, when Jesus came and, and died on a cross for us, right, the playing field was leveled. Right? It, it, it's not anymore there's one group of people that are better than others. There's not, if you're following Jesus, he loves you more. Right? Every single person is on the same playing field. Right, we need to start seeing people that way. There, there's something my dad would always say to his students. My my dad was a youth pastor too, um, so I 
try to be like my dad in every single way possible because he's the best. But there's something my dad would say to his students back in the day. And he he would take a sticky note. He would say, what if you viewed everyone the same? Because I think in life, a lot of times we we see someone and we put a label on them. Or we see them and, and we put like a value on them. And if, if someone is a one, they're not worth our time. Right? If we're seen talking to them, we might not be as cool. Right? It might be a waste of our time. So when we see someone like that and stick a, a one on their forehead, we're probably not going to be able to serve them. We're not going to love them like Jesus did. But on, on the other end, if we see someone who, who we'd label as a 10, right, they're, they're maybe like our best friends, they're a celebrity, someone we look up to our whole life. If we put a 10 on someone, like we're always going to try to stop and talk to them because they, they're going to be able to add value to our life. My dad would ask the question to his students, how much different would, you, would your world look if every single person you saw, you put a 10 on their forehead? How much different would someone's life be if every single day they're the person in the halls at school that, that no one stops to talk to? But what if every day you put a 10 on their forehead and you said, I'm going to make an effort to love this person. I'm going to make an effort to every single day, even though people make fun of them, even though people don't care to talk to them, I'm going to be different. I'm going to see them how Jesus sees them. Right? How much different would your life look? I think that's, that's exactly how Jesus loved people. Right? Every single person he saw as valuable because his disciples, they might be like a, a 10 from the world's point of view. They're his best friends. He did ministry for three and a half years with them. So Jesus washing their feet, it's not, it's not super surprising because he clearly values them, right? Society clearly values these people. But on the other end of the spectrum, like the, the woman who suffers from, from bleeding, right, who's banished from the city because of her condition, no one values her. Every time someone would, would walk up close to her, she'd have to yell, unclean, unclean, because in society she was nothing. No one cared. But Jesus, as he's working his way through a crowd one time, he feels this woman touch the edge of his cloak. And in the middle of an entire crowd, he stops. He turns and he looks at this girl and says, Daughter, your sins are forgiven. He heals this woman, this woman that has no value in society. Jesus valued her as a ten. How much different would, would your world look? Would, how much different would your workplace look? How much different would your family look if you valued everyone like Jesus did as a 10? So if we want to serve like Jesus, we need to love people enough to serve them. And the second thing, if we want to serve like Jesus, we need to humble ourselves. Because I think a lot of times, speaking just for me personally, I think there's a lot of times in my life where I'm like, ah, I'm too good for that. Like, I, I don't need to, I don't need to scrape all the marshmallows that people stomped in the ground a few weeks ago at youth. Like, there's, 
there are so many times where I, I'm not living like Jesus did because I don't humble myself. And I don't know if anyone else struggles with that at all. But Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Right? In humility, we're supposed to value other people above ourselves. And that's what, that's what loving people looks like. Valuing them even above ourselves. And Jesus did that. We see that. Because he gave his life as a sacrifice right, for each one of us, for every person you'll ever meet. Jesus valued them. He humbled himself and gave his life. And the more, the more I looked into just like the word servant this week, one, one thing stuck out to me. Being a servant oftentimes leads to suffering. And suffering in the Bible is actually, it's a great thing. Right, so many times in the Bible we see like in Acts the the followers of Jesus get beaten this close to death. But they walk away praising God that they got beaten for Jesus. Like that's insane. Right? Suffering in the Bible is so much different than how we view it today. I mean Philippians one twenty nine says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And I think there's, there's a difference between just loving God and serving God, right? Because loving God might look like I'll show, up on, I'll show up on Sundays to church, but the rest of the week I won't, I won't fully serve God. I won't spend time in the Word. I won't love people like, like Jesus did. But serving God, right, that might lead to a little bit of suffering. It might lead to 20 minutes less sleep every night so you can wake up and spend time in the word it might look like taking time out of your day to talk to the person that you do find annoying but you value them as a 10 right serving god i think is different than just loving god i think as a church as we step into this new chapter i think there might be a few people in this place who who need to need to Yes, continue loving God, but really take that next step to serving God fully. Right, and there's there's a a book that we read as a staff that had an amazing line in there, and it, it says this the pathway to freedom is servanthood, and the pathway to deep and lasting joy is denying yourself. Or it's the pathway to freedom, to, to living a life that that's fully satisfying. The way to get there is denying yourself, right? Is, is being humble like Jesus was. And just to kind of, to summarize everything here, Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? Jesus was the greatest servant of all time. And if that's what Jesus came to this earth to do, not to be served as a king, but to serve others. Right? That's what I'm going to do in my life. And it takes us loving others, truly loving others, and humbling ourselves to serve effectively like Jesus did. So now let's, let's, let's put this into our context for a quick second. Right? In three weeks, we're going to two services. 
which means now in a typical month, instead of four Sundays of K-5, of, of pre-K, of nursery, we go from four services to eight. Right? Now instead of our hospitality team preparing coffee and donuts for four services, they now prepare for eight. Right? We now have eight services where greeters are greeting people at the door. We have eight services where the ushers are doing their thing. So I think that means that some people need to go from loving God to serving God. Because when we walk through the doors, we want to we want every single person, whether it's their thousandth thousandth time walking through these doors or their first time, we want every single person to feel valued. And now there are more opportunities for us to serve. There are more opportunities for us to love on people, to love on our community. I think a lot of people, a lot of people in this room might think like, I'm not good enough. I I don't know the Bible well enough to teach fifth graders about about God. I I don't know the Bible well enough. I'm not perfect enough. I make so many mistakes. I can't greet people out the door. The truth is, yeah, that's true. You're not good enough, but... But, God is a God of buts, right? But, when we allow God to to come alongside us, to partner with us, like we begin to do more than we ever thought possible. Because the truth is, like, I'm not good enough for what God's called me to do. Derek's not good enough for what God's called him to do. But when we allow God, the Holy Spirit, to work through us, right, we see God do amazing things. We see God God begin to, to grow this church to a point where we need two services. Right? When we allow God to partner with us, then we become good enough. And the cool thing is when, when we serve in the church, in our lives, in our families, wherever it may be, when we serve, I think that's where we experience the most growth in our lives. Because when, when I think of my life, when I think of the times that I've grown the most, I immediately think of missions trips. And I think when, when people go on a missions trip, I think the mindset is pretty much the same across the board. Right? People go on a missions trip with a mindset like, hey, we're here to serve people. Very few people will, will go to Mexico to build a house and be like, eh, I'm not feeling that. How about you build a house for me? Right, like that, that doesn't happen, right? Because when we go on a mission trip, when we have that, that mindset that we're going to serve, we experience so much growth in our lives. And it's the same thing in our everyday lives. It's the same thing with, with serving here at the church. I promise you if, you, if you would walk back in the K-5 room, and I don't know who's teaching back there, but if, if you would ask them, like, have you grown? through serving? Have you grown through teaching the second crazy third graders? They would say yes every single time. Right? I, even if you, you talk to the greeters at the door, if you would ask them, no, have you grown since serving? I think the answer is yes every single time. Because when we walk into a situation with, with the mindset of serving, God rewards us with growth. 
Because when we serve, we begin to do things outside of our comfort zone. We begin to, to, to be in situations where we can't do it on our own. We need to rely on God to meet us there. And when we rely on God to help us serve, we experience so much growth. Because serving equals growth. As we go into this, this new chapter here at the bridge, going to two services, right, talking about our house, the truth is we, we need more people to serve. But we need more people, first and foremost, to take ownership of their faith. Right? You need some skin in the game. Because if, if you truly value your walk with the Lord, you're going to want to put in the effort. You're going to want to to get uncomfortable a little bit, to serve, to suffer a little bit for God. Kylie, you can come up and, and play some keys here. We will wrap up a little early this morning. I don't talk as long as Derek. Sometimes he goes on forever. Uh, hey, he's not here. I, we can maybe cut that out of the stream. I think he's watching. But... No, being a youth pastor, like, the attention span of students, no offense, is not very long. So you kind of have to get to the point real quick, wrap it up, give them something they can hold on to, get them out the door, right? So that, that's kind of how I roll. But this morning, we, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up a few minutes early here. But our house, you know, just yesterday morning, I had the opportunity uh, to go back to the college I, I went to. I went to North Central just like Derek and Meg. And I was lucky enough to play both basketball and soccer there. And yesterday morning for the the first time since I graduated, we had a North Central men's basketball alumni game. And it was fun. I not the player I used to be, I'll be honest. But as I was driving back to school Kind of having those, those pre-game jitters, right? With with the thought of walking into my home gym that I played in for four years. So many emotions and memories just began flooding my mind. Right, I was brought back to the times where where I battled with with my brothers. Where I battled on the court, where we had a few wins here and there, a lot of losses, other times. For 50 minutes when I was driving to school, I couldn't wait. And when I finally pulled up to the school, walked in the doors, walked straight up to the gym, and opened the doors to the gym, I walked in and I saw the current team doing what I had done so many times in my career, gathered at center court, praying after they just finished getting ready for their game that afternoon. And as I saw that picture of a place where I was just a few years ago, it all came back to me. And I'll be honest, I, I started, started crying. I was like, this is home. This is home. For four years, I called this place home. I called that gym home. 
And for four years, I did everything I could to make the program better. Right When I walked on campus as a freshman, I knew, I knew for a fact I was never going to be the best player. I knew that I was going to have to bust my butt, work harder than I ever had before. Because I was nothing special. But for four years, I went to practice every day. Gave up. 100% effort, gave everything I could, literally blood, sweat, and tears throughout my career, because I knew if I took ownership of the program, maybe when I left, it'd be in a little better shape than when I got there. And yesterday, playing in the alumni game, not a spiritual thing at all, but so many memories came back, because I was home put in so much time, so much effort, gave everything I had. I loved my teammates. I I served them any way I could because I knew that the team always had to come before me. And yesterday I was home. My question this morning for us is what are you doing to take ownership of your faith? What are you doing to make this place home? Because when, when we begin to take ownership, right, that's when things change. Right? Are, you, are you serving somewhere in the church? Are you in a connect group so you can go through life with people in, in a similar situation to you? Are you taking ownership of your, of your faith and doing something that, that maybe you've never done before? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you praying? Are you loving people even when it's hard? Are you trying to grow in your faith? Are you trying to go? Because that's what taking ownership looks like. So what are you doing to make this place home? Because I promise you when, when you walk into a place that you love so much, when you walk into a place that you know you've given your best to, it's going to feel like home. And every time you walk in the doors, you're going to be expecting God to meet you here. And God will. That's the truth. So what are you doing to make this place your home? Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we thank you so much for the blessing that, that this church is. God, to each person who's in this room right now, each person who's watching online, but God, also for each person that has never walked through these doors in this community. God, we thank you for what you've done in each one of our lives over the years, maybe even this morning. But God, my prayer is that this place, this church becomes home forever. God, that when they walk through the doors, God, they immediately feel your presence. God, when they walk through the doors, memories of you meeting them here, memories of, of doing life with other people begin flooding their, their minds and their hearts. Because that's what home is. And right now, God, I pray, God, that you're speaking to a few people. God, challenging a few people 
in ways where they can take more ownership of their faith. God, where they, where they can have a little more skin in the game. God, whether that's here at the church or, or just in their own lives. God, I pray that each one of us are obedient to what you have for us in this next season of life. God, we, we love you. We're so thankful for, for the blessing that this church is. God, the blessing that, that this home is in this community. God, we pray that you continue to give us a heart for your people, for your community. God, so that more people can, can walk in these doors and experience home like we know. God, we love you and thank you for everything you've done. In your name. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.